Welcome back in listeners to a fantastic new episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We are kicking off the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, or at least our coverage of the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, with a great show that we're bringing you today. We have the writer Erin Murray Quinlan joining us, and her show, Brain Hemingway, is crossing the Atlantic and heading to Scotland this year, playing August 4th through the 12th, 14th through the 19th, and 21st through the 26th at 5.30 p.m., at Greenside at Nicholson Square Fern Studio. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting brainhemingway.com. And if you haven't noticed already, this is a show at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. So we're so excited about not only hearing it for ourselves, but being able to share it with you. So let's go ahead and welcome on our guest, Aaron. Welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I am over the moon. You are you are kicking off our Edinburgh Fringe Festival coverage. You have a great show here, Brain Hemingway. I want to know all about this, all of this, because this is not the first time the show is being done. There's been some great, great reviews about it. The buzz is already happening. So can you start by telling us a bit about Brain Hemingway? So Brain Hemingway, we call it a two-person, one-person show because it's basically about, it's about a a blocked writer played by myself and based on myself who has a looming deadline, but any hope of getting anything done is interrupted by the subject of her last failed show who happens to be Ernest Hemingway. Wow. I love that. Oh my gosh. What a twist. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you come up with the idea? For this show, you did mention it's a little inspired by you, but but where all did the idea come from? So, as many shows right now got developed, it, it kind of came to me during lockdown because I mean, I don't know if you remember that period, that thing that happened where the world locked down. But it was, you know, it was a depressing time. There was, you know, the election and the COVID and everything. And I, I think my my mind was going to a lot of dark places, and I realized that. 10 years ago, when I started writing a show about Ernest Hemingway, which did get very bad reviews, I I realized I was carrying those around with me a little bit. I was carrying those around. And also, you know, when you research somebody who has a very public persona, particularly one that is coveted by kind of macho guys, if you're a young woman, a younger woman at the time, trying to kind of tap into that person, you get a lot of pushback. And I realized I was just carrying around a lot of those things that people said to me, men said to me in my head, and they were especially coming out during lockdown, during, you know, that depressing time. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to write some of this down, and maybe it'll be an exorcism of some kind. And it turned into a whole show in which I, I try to, to exercise Ernest Hemingway from my brain. Wow. There That's it is. Amazing. <laughs> So as I mentioned, you know, this is not the first iteration of the show. In fact, this is, I believe, the second time the show has visited the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. So what has it been like developing the show this time around? Well, so the first time I wrote it, I was in a very bad place and in a very, uh, yeah, it, it was just kind of dark and, you know, investigating all these terrible things that had been said to me that I started saying to myself. And then we took it to the Fringe and 
the the reception was so positive and people saw themselves in it so much. So now I'm coming to it the second time and I'm feeling good about myself. <laughs> so I kind of need to, to, you know, dampen that a little so I can get into the right mind space to kind of do some edits on it. But I'm in a different place as an artist. I'm in a more confident place, certainly. And the world's opened back up. So that's a plus. So, so that, that's the big difference between, between the two iterations of it, I think. I love that. Now, if I read correctly, the role of Hemingway is played by your husband, Evan. Is that right? Yes. What has it been like? I mean, obviously, I, my, I work with my wife on this show, but what has it been like for you working with your husband on this project and seeing your husband develop this role of Hemingway as well? It's it's deeply uncomfortable seeing Hemingway around the house. Um, <laughs> if we have to do any photo stuff or, or, or production stuff. He has to put on the sweater and get the gray hair going. And it's, he, he gets into this mindset. It's really uncomfortable, but because he has to say such terrible things to me that have been said to me in the past by actual people and bring all that back up. It's nice to have that kind of safety net where he's the person that I trust most in the world and I feel safe with him. So when he does say these terrible things and a lot of them do get big laughs in the show, so it's a it's it's a humbling experience. It's nice to share that with him and build it with him. That's awesome. Yeah, we love a good couple that works in the arts. It works. It happens. What is the message or thought you're hoping that the audience will take away from your show? The biggest one I think is that, you know, what I realized was that when you get a bad review or when someone talks down to you because of who you are or what you think, they say that to you once. But then you can start saying to your, it to yourself over and over and over again. And that voice inside your head, whether it's, you know, Hemingway or, or whether it's somebody else, you have the power to control that. And I think artists, especially because we do have to sometimes, you know, investigate the, those kind of scary, dark feelings. We all put ourselves out there in, in a way that can make us really uncomfortable. So, so fi finding that delicate balance of, what, what am I saying to myself that's constructive and what am I saying to myself that's destructive, I suppose. And I, th I think everyone feels like that, not, e not even just artists, but that's just where I come from in the understanding of it. Yes, the power of words. I mean, truly, it, it, I think you nailed that exactly right. It's something that can be said once by someone, but you are the one that keeps repeating it. And it's like the death of a, by a thousand paper cuts. Well, I have to say, I love the fact that you are taking something that is, I mean, it's traumatic. It's, it's, it's a negative thing and you're, you are owning it. You're, you're turning around and you're using it as a source of empowerment. You're reclaiming it almost. I love that. That is such a positive thing. And I want everyone to see that because it just shows that when you encounter, when you encounter negativity in your life, there's two ways you can handle it. You can let it get you down or you can grab hold of it and you can own it and you can use it as a tool to overcome things and conquer it, you know? Yeah, that, that was really what I learned about it because when I, when Evan, my husband says these things to me on stage, you know, the, the audience laughs and then I say something in response and the audience laughs. And so now I've taken control of it. It belongs to me now. And, you know, I've, t I've taken that, that power away from. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. I love that. So with that, who do you all have access to the show? 
I mean, I would love, I think burnt out millennials, I guess, is a really good demographic for it. You know, anybody who feels like they don't remember why they loved doing something because they're, they've gotten too deep into what that entails. It's, it's done really well with, with other artists, with other just theater lovers, especially coming out of lockdown, the first fringe since lockdown. This year, I'd like to see some more people who are into Hemingway because last time I didn't think that Hemingway people would like it, but it turned out they did. So I would like to see some more of them there. <laughs> I want to switch gears now and let our listeners get to know you a little bit more, kind of find out more about what has brought about this story, what brings you your art. And I want to start by asking you what inspires you, what shows, playwrights, composers have inspired you or some that you love? I love so many things. (laughs) I feel, I feel I'm very enthusiastic, effusive person. I get very heavily into various hobbies and if I if something kind of hooks inside my brain I have to know every single thing about it I have to read every book I can and that's why Hemingway happened but I mean the the people that inspire me that always come back are of course people like you know Stephen Sondheim Armando Iannucci is a big one the books of Hilary Mantel yeah there are just so many I mean amazing right right now something that's really inspiring is how kind of the power of art and writing is being taken back by just regular people. I really like scrolling Reddit or TikTok or any of those places. And you just see how creative people are when they have a platform. And it really does make you feel like, you know, we are all creative and and capable of creativity. And it's, you know, the rat race that kind of keeps us from that natural place. But people are just so funny and so creative on those things. And it always makes me... I, I always say, oh, I wish I wrote that joke or, or I wish I I wrote that melody. And then it makes me feel like, okay, I'm going to go do my thing now. I love that. Have you seen anything lately that you might be able to recommend to our listeners? Oh, wow. So the last thing I saw, so I actually, I went to London to see the final production of The Woman in Black because I've, I've seen it 11 times now. It's my favorite, favorite play. And I went specifically to go see it. And every so often it is in New York. They did it at a bar. I don't know if you saw that. I, um, I saw that it was here, but I didn't get a chance to see it. And it's back. Everyone go see it. I love that play. Every time I see it, I learn something new about stagecraft, about adaptation, about writing. Yeah, it's it's just such a phenomenal play. I'm so sad it's it's gone there. But that means I think that it'll be more accessible here and in other countries now that it's gone there. I will have to definitely keep that on my radar. Make sure I, I keep an eye out. Hopefully it's coming here then. Come on, Broadway. I would love that. And then the other one I saw, it might have a Broadway transfer soon, was The Unfriend. And that was by Stephen Moffat. And that was very cute about a British couple who invites a, an American woman over to their house and they find out she might be a serial killer. And it's, it's very funny. It's lots of great physical humor. I think that that'll probably transfer. I bet it will. I love that. I love a good British comedy like that. That's amazing. I, I will also keep my eye out for that then. What is your favorite part about working in the theater? I I am addicted to that first laugh, I think. 
I love it when you've written something and you you've researched and you've done draft and draft and draft and you read it with people and you can do as much as you can to get it into a good place, but it's nothing until you get it in front of an audience. And it's so nerve wracking waiting for that first reaction. And then when it comes, it's just like a hit of the best drug in the world. And I keep, I think I keep coming back for that. Oh, I love that answer. And it is, you, you perfectly put it that way. It is. It's that is like the theater bug getting into you. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's you, the minute you hear that first reaction, you're like, oh yeah, yep. Yeah, that's yeah. why we do it. And we're going to come I back think, tomorrow night and do it again. <laughs> it's my, uh, my brother's the funny one in the family. So I need to kind of, I need to find my laughs elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Well, now we've arrived at my favorite question to ask guests, and that's what is your favorite theater memory? So this is so easy. This is, I think about this constantly. When I had my show, God Save Queen Pam, off-Broadway at the Players Theater, our stage manager didn't show up one night. She, we got a text, text saying, I feel a migraine coming on, basically. And yeah. <laughs> and so she wasn't coming we had her file for, I think it was like QLab or something, for the lights and the sound, and it was all corrupted. We couldn't open them. So we're about to go on. We have no sound. We have no lights. One of the fantastic people at the players did the lights and just tried to read it from the script as best she could. But our music director, Mark Chan, said that he knew the show well enough that the live band could do the sounds. So not only did they play all of the incidental music and all the music with the song, but anytime there was a, you know, a gunshot or doors opening or things like that, they made it happen with the band. And it was just, first of all, it was one of the only shows we had where all of the sound cues were correct at the right time. <laughs> but it was just such a, you know, that's the, the scrappy theater moment of the show must go on. And, you know, it's okay. We've got duct tape. We've got WD-40. We're going we're gonna to do this. And Mark Chan just, I, I, I think of that all the time. It was just such a wonderful moment. It was, I think, our favorite, everyone's favorite show of the, of the whole run. That is incredible. Oh, my gosh. What a memory. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. It's a good one. It's a good one. Are there any other projects or productions that you have coming down the pipeline that we might be able to plug? This is this is really the big one at the moment because we're we're getting up into just kind of our our marketing time and then getting out to the fringe and all that. So yeah, every everything else is on the back burner right now. And you know what? This is the perfect show to just throw everything behind and the perfect festival too. So if our listeners want more information about Brain Hemingway or about you, perhaps they'd like to reach out to you. How can they do that? They can go to brainhemingway.com. All of our socials are on there. We actually have a little series coming up called um, Drunk Hemingway. I don't know if you've seen Drunk History, but I made a bunch of Hemingway specials, which is, a, I also show how to make a Hemingway special, which is his special drink when he was living in Cuba. I drink a bunch of those and tell a bunch of Hemingway stories and my husband acts them out. <laughs> so that's going to be happening in our TikTok pretty soon. So you can find those at Brain Hemingway or ErinMurrayQuinlan.com. Perfect. 
I am definitely going to be tuning in. I want to see you drinking a bunch of these Hemingway cocktails and telling story. Like, I, I will live for that. I will live for that. Especially if you continue to drink and then continue to tell stories. I want to see the progression of stories. Yeah, I did. They get a little, they they get less and less focused as they go on. So. Amazing. That I'm there for that. I'm there for that. That is, I feel like we need to get a drunk theater history going. Patent pending, patent pending for Stage Whisper. That's going to be a thing. I'm going to have to remember that. But in the meantime, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today and talking about this incredible show, kicking off our coverage for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. This has been exciting. I really appreciate you speaking with us. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. My guest today has been the writer, Aaron Murray Quinlan, whose show Brain Hemingway is playing at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, August 4th through the 12th, 14th through the 19th, and 21st through the 26th at 5.30 p.m. This is all happening at Greenside at Nicholson Square Fern Studio. And you can get your tickets and more information now by visiting brainhemingway.com, which is also where you can find all the information about their social media contacts and check out some of their fun videos. They've made uh, a drunk Hemingway special that's coming out. You can also get more information about Erin by visiting her website, erinmurrayquinlan.com. And we're going to have all this information posted on our episode description, as well as on our social media. But run, don't walk to brainhemingway.com to get your tickets now for Brain Hemingway playing at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.